Are you a betting person? You may want to say, no, I'm, I don't bet. Well, I bet you are. I bet all of you are a betting person to some degree or another. I bet you I can make that light. You ever have that moment going through an intersection? I bet you I can make it. You're a betting person, come on. I bet you I can close that deal. All my salespeople say, oh, right. You ever had that moment? I, I bet you I could close it. It's not gonna be easy, but I bet you I could do it. You're a betting person, come on now. I bet you if I ask them out, they'll say yes. Remember that moment when you were a teenager? Or however old you were? You need to ask that significant other out for the first time? I bet you if I ask them, they'll say yes. You're a betting person, don't lie to me. Bet you I could learn that language. Bet you I could cook that recipe. We frequently bet on ourselves. I was sailing by myself last Sunday afternoon and uh, my engine failed while I was out on Lake Ontario. And despite my best efforts, I was calling people, just couldn't get it restarted. So I had two options. Call for help, have to spend the money to get towed in and suffer the indignity of somebody towing me in, or bet on myself. And uh, you wanna bet what Pastor Todd did? Yeah, that's right, your pastor sailed his boat in under sail power alone. And uh, as I was coming into the marina, people could tell that I was under distress. People usually don't sail a boat into a harbor. That's a pretty big wind that day. And so it's kind of the best show going. If you happen to see a stricken sailboat sailing its way into the harbor, you're betting whether it's going to run up on the rocks or not. And so there's people on the pier watching me, and I can see the police watching me through their binoculars. My heart's beating a million miles an hour. Do you know that moment when you're about to bet on yourself, you're like, that's it, I'm just gonna go for it. Right, you have a bit of warm up time or you're freaked out, you're like, I don't know how this is gonna go. And then just say, ah, you know, forget it, I'm throw caution to the wind. I'm gonna bet on myself, so I just do it, boom. Sailed in, right past this massive yacht, I'm like hugging, I came right close to this yacht. The rocks are on the right hand side, I'm staying away from the rocks. The wind is pushing me towards the rocks. So I'm sailing across the wind. Final moment, I furl the sail, jibe with the wind, Stop the boat dead on the police dock. Step off, tie the lines, took a bow. I, I, I bet on myself. Now I had a little bit of PS, PTSD the next day. <laughs> I literally felt like I'd fought a fight. Bet on yourself or call for help. Betting on yourself is all fine and good until Psalm 55 type trouble comes into your life. Love having you here, by the way. I hope it's fun for you. It's all fine and good to bet on yourself until Psalm 55 trouble shows up. Then, uh, well, let me read it to you and see how this goes. Um, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O oh Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. 
Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their hearts. But I call to God and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Psalm 55. David here has um, suffered betrayal from a close friend. Some scholars think that David didn't write this psalm because they can't think of a time when David suffered the betrayal of a close friend, unless you think perhaps when his son Absalom betrayed him, that qualifies. There's actually three or four instances in the life of David where I think um, the events that happened could have moved him to write this psalm. Other scholars think that what he's doing here is just writing a hymn for God's people to use when they suffer betrayal by a close friend. Because everybody at some point in their life has suffered betrayal. And if you have ever suffered betrayal from a close friend, you know that that is the bitterest kind of betrayal. You want to wave at me if you know what I'm talking about? If you've ever suffered that kind of betrayal, it is especially dark and horrible kind of betrayal. Here's the point. Sometimes your situation gets dark enough that you can no longer help yourself. We talked about betting on yourself, and in some situations, that's a good bet to make. But sometimes you'll find yourself in a situation where you are dealing with such dire straits that you can no longer help yourself. You need to bet on a sure thing. Maybe that's you today. Maybe as you walk through this season, you're looking to make a bet on a sure thing. So welcome to an 11-point reflection on the art and science of divine intervention. If you want to bet on a sure thing, point number one, listen. Okay, that's the first point I want you to take home. You want to bet on a sure thing, listen, verse 1 and 2. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. Here's the first point that I hope rocks your world. When you listen to God, he listens to you. You see that in verse 1 and 2? He's crying out to God, listen to me, hear my prayer. Hear my cry for help. Listen to me, Lord. Give ear to my prayer. Hear me. Help me. This is a cry for help. When was the last time you cried out to God for help? I often interact with people who feel like God is distant, God is silence, God is ignoring them. Why isn't God talking to me? I often ask them first thing, well, when was the last time you talked to him? When was the last time you cried out to God for help? Maybe just run an inventory. It's a silly thing, but we forget to cry out to God for help. We forget to make him the object of our affection. We forget to make him the first one that we go to. 
Once you cry out to God for help, though, listen for his response. Verse 2, attend to me and answer me. David is clearly assuming that God's going to answer. He's going to talk back. He will hear you, and then he will answer you. So once you've cried out to God for help, listen to him. I made this point a few weeks ago, but every time it shows up in the text, it bears repeating. You may have a hard time hearing from God because there's no silence in your life. Somebody say, touche, preacher, right? Is that you? There's no silence in your life. The busier you are, the higher achieving you are, the more motivated you are to, you know, Achieve greatness. I relate. I'm like that. I'm an A-type personality. I want to work great exploits for Jesus' fame, my joy, and the good of the world. I identify. But the more you are wired that way, the more your tendency is going to be to fill your life with so much noise that you don't hear God when He speaks. Make some room for silence in your life so that you can listen. And, point number two, accept that um, evil and suffering are inescapable. Look with me at verses three through five. Because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble on me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me, the terrors of death have fallen upon me, fear and trembling come over me, and horror overwhelms me. Okay, let me just highlight all the terrible things that David is here dealing with. Noise from the enemy. When does an enemy make noise? When they're about to kill you. Right? In ancient times, when they surround your city with a siege, they would spend much of the time hooting and hollering, shouting and screaming, doing everything they can to trouble you. There are accounts in the scriptures of the armies of God's enemies, the enemies of God's people, encamped about Jerusalem, heckling the people of God, shouting, screaming, howling, making noise. Enemies make noise when they're about to attack. He's dealing with the noise of the enemy. He's dealing with oppression, trouble, anger, grudges, anguish, terror, death, fear, trembling, horror, being overwhelmed. Let me just say it one more time, because as Western Christians, we need to get this through our thick skull. Here is what God's friend, David, is dealing with. Noise from the enemy, oppression, trouble, anger, grudges, anguish, terror, death, fear, trembling, horror, and being overwhelmed. Don't let anyone tell you that God's friends have it easy. Most of the time when you meet a disillusioned Christian, you're meeting a Christian who has been sold a bill of goods. They've been told at some point along their Christian journey that if you just come to Jesus, lickety-split, sis, boom, ba, one plus two plus three equals three plus two is five plus one equals six. And if you just check all the boxes and follow the formula exactly the right way, if your faith is in the right place, if you do all the right things and don't do any of the wrong things, your life's going to be peachy keen. Except it's not true. How many of you have ever met a disillusioned Christian? Wave at me if you've ever met one of these people. They come to be like, I'm doing everything right. How come my life is so hard? Well, it's because nobody told them that that's how life is. Life is hard, even for God's friends. Let me just say it, because I love you. In Jesus, you've been promised eternal life, not an easy life. Somebody shout at your preacher. Okay? Take that one all the way to the bank. You're welcome. In Jesus, you've been promised eternal life, not an easy life. I was in a kind of a counseling context with somebody today. 
and I was dealing with this, this exact content. I said, listen, your life's not going to be easy now, but know that you've been promised eternal life. So surely the fact that you're going to be a citizen in the new Jerusalem, where you don't even need the light of the sun or the moon, because the Lamb of God and the throne are its light. A place where sorrow will be no more, where there's no crying or sickness or dying anymore. A place where you actually see the face of God. This is where you are going to spend your eternal life, a life which does not end. If the joy of that eternal moment does not trace itself back into your present moment in even the slightest way, I got nothing else to sell you, honestly. Would it be a terrible thing to waste a life with Jesus being miserable because you've forgotten your eternal destiny? Now look, your eternal destiny does not necessarily change your here and now. Your here and now may be very difficult. And there are tactical things you can do to navigate the difficulties of this life. Yes, there are things you can do to better your situation, to improve your health, to improve your finances, to improve your marriage if you have one, to help your kids navigate the difficulties of their teenage years. There are things that you can do, strategies you can learn and deploy. But nothing is going to give you peace except the knowledge that you belong to Jesus and that He is yours. I am my beloved's and He is mine. You haven't been promised an easy life. You have been promised eternal life. Trouble is par for the course. The sooner you accept it, the happier you'll be. Somebody say amen. Okay? The sooner you accept it, the happier you'll be. And then point number three, hurry to Jesus. We're in uh, verses six through eight. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. I love this line. I would hurry to find a shelter. We're Jesus preaching people here. Who is our shelter? Jesus is our shelter. Okay, you have been sheltered within his everlasting arms. It's not a stretch to say that as Jesus hung upon Calvary's cross, suffering and dying in your place for your sins, he held you within his embrace. When we read in the Old Testament that he knew every day destined for you before one of them had yet happened, that means that God has known you from before time. And if you belong to Jesus, he has known that you belong to him from before all time. And so he has held you in his embrace from before you were even aware of it. And so if, as Jesus dies upon the cross, in your place for your sins, you are, in some sense, dying with him. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Right? I have been crucified with Christ. This means that your togetherness with Jesus is so intense that it is the defining kernel of your personality. Let these words ring in your heart this week. I am my beloved's and he is mine. You belong to Jesus. And we read all throughout the New Testament the great promise, if we died with him, we will also rise with him. He is the first fruits of them that sleep. What is the first fruit? The first fruit that blooms on the tree, which is then followed by what? Many other fruits. Wave at me if you're a fruit, right? Seriously, wave at me, you're a fruit. Okay, he's the first fruits of them that sleep. You are together with Christ. You belong to him. I am my beloved's and he is mine. He is 
the shelter you need. He is the safety that you long for. Jesus is your shelter from the storm so you can trust him. And uh, speaking of trust, um, once you've decided to trust Jesus, let me quote a little Andy Samberg here from my sons. Once you decide to trust Jesus, don't trust the system. Okay, these two trusts do not coexist. Trusting Jesus or trusting the system. Once you've decided to put your trust in Jesus, don't trust the system. I get this out of verses 9 through 11. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls. Here it is. And iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Iniquity and trouble are within the city. Evil is systemic. We've been hearing lots of talk about systemic racism in our culture, have we not? Over these past many weeks. Important talk. Okay? True talk. Good talk. Okay? Systemic racism is real. Evil underlies all racism, of course. And evil is systemic. What I found interesting is in the midst of all the cultural soul-searching that's been happening over the last couple months, um, I don't hear a lot of people, at least in the media, leading with, I am the problem. Can you relate? Have you heard lots of people saying, I am the problem? I've not heard lots of people saying, I am the problem. I hope that you've had some opportunity to wrestle with that. I certainly have. In what ways is systemic evil still rooted in my heart? In what ways is it still rooted in yours? I want to suggest that instead of blaming others for the problems of the world, that we point the finger at ourselves and ask Jesus for help. Help me, Lord. Root out the systemic evil that lives in my heart still. Here's the thing about evil, right? If it exists in you, it exists in others. So, point number five, don't be surprised by betrayal. Isn't it? It's very hard to make this point without inviting you to become cynical. Don't be surprised. Why is betrayal so upsetting? Because it's a surprise. You trusted this person. They were your companion, your familiar friend. And then, pa, out of nowhere, they betray you. If you've ever suffered this kind of thing, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The Bible here is inviting us to not be surprised by betrayal. Look with me at verses 12 through 14. For it's not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolent with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. My companion, my familiar friend. I just want to say to you today, if you have been betrayed, I am so, so sorry. I know exactly how you feel, and only God can help you. So I want to invite you this week, if that is you, if I'm speaking to you right now, I want to invite you to simply ask Jesus for help. You can, just, you can do it right now with me. Jesus, I feel pain in my heart as this preacher is talking. You know what I have suffered. You know the betrayal that I have endured. And you know the scars that it has left on my soul and in my life. 
you know that I can't deal with it anymore, so I'm doing what the preacher says. I'm asking you for help. Jesus, help me. And now, Lord, would you just jump onto these words and meet your beloved at their point of need? Even now, Lord, as they have prayed the prayer of faith, would you meet them in their homes and heal them, Lord, from the pain of the betrayal that they have been carrying with them? In Jesus' mighty name. And somebody said, amen. Ask Jesus for help. And then point number six, remember, um, ultimately death gets killed. Here's where the hope comes in. Right? That's what let them go down to Sheol alive means. Sheol is the underworld. It's the Jewish hell. This is what he's saying he wants God to do to his enemies. I always tell you we no longer have enemies as Jesus people. We call no woman, no man our enemy. But death and hell and the grave, they are our enemy. And it is right to wish that death and the grave and hell itself should go to hell. That's literally what David is saying here. So let me piggyback on what David is saying and let me remind you that the next time death and hell come knocking in your life, look them square in the face and tell them to go to hell. You can put that on a t-shirt, tell hell to go to hell. Pastor Todd said so. Yes, I did. Why? Because love wins. Love wins. Hell can go to hell because love wins. Death can go to hell. Why? Because life wins. The grave can go to hell. Why? Because God wins. And if God wins as you belong to him, friend, you win. I mean, somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Love wins. Life wins. God wins. You win. And death is dead in Christ. Give him praise. So I want to invite you today to start living like it. You knew that was coming, right? If death is dead in Christ, um, it seems to follow that we ought to live like that is true. And we ought to, point number seven, keep asking for help. Look with me at verse 16. But I call to God and the Lord will save me. But I call to God and the Lord will Jesus me. Yes, it's one of those Pastor Todd specials right there. Um, I call to God, Ve'adonai Yoshieni. Yoshieni, Yoshia, Yeshua. But I call to God and he will Jesus me. Let me invite you to adopt my favorite prayer. It's a simple prayer. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> my wife's laughing because I say it like, how many times a day do I say, help me, Jesus? I kid you not, it is my constant refrain. Help me, Jesus. And you might think it's a throwaway, but it's not. Because Jesus is alive, and Jesus is real, and his power is real, and I'm one of his people. And when I call on his name, he hears me. And when he hears me, he answers me. Somebody say hallelujah. Help me, Jesus. Am I supposed to keep on asking? Yes, you're supposed to keep on asking. Why? Because Matthew 7, 7 is present continuous. It's not ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened to you. What is Matthew 7, 7 in its original language? Receive it. Keep on asking, and it shall be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. And so the second part should ring the same way. 
For those who keep on asking, receive. And those who keep on knocking, to them the door is open. And those who keep on seeking will find. Church, if you're looking for a sure thing, get a little more persistent. Somebody say amen. Did you receive it today? Do persistent people bug you? Repent. Okay? Remember the widow who bothered the judge day and night until finally he gave her justice. Jesus himself teaches this parable as if God is the judge and you are the widow. And so in my prayer life, three years ago, I started praying like that widow. And I have persisted for three years. I've told you about this, some of you. There are babies in this church that I prayed into being with their parents. I kid you not. There are jobs in this church that I prayed into being along with the sisters and brothers who had lost their jobs. I kid you not. I came across my planning calendar from 2017 yesterday, while, or this week while cleaning out our basement. And in my planning calendar for this church, I had planned by 2020 to have between 450 and 600 people attending this church. And that at the time seemed ridiculous because this church at the time had about 170 people in it. And here we are in 2020 in the midst of a pandemic and we just ran an inventory on all the people who call this church home and we are now over 500 people. Don't tell me God doesn't answer prayer. And so I want to invite you to start praying like the persistent widow. Lord, I come to you today as the persistent widow. That's how I've been starting every single one of my prayers every single day for the past three years. If you're looking for a sure thing, get a little more persistent. Why? Because point number eight, receive it. He is the God who comes through. I mean, you ought to shout at me in this house. He's the God who comes through. Look at verse 18. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. I mean, are these beautiful words or what? He redeems my soul in safety. You know what it means in the Hebrew? He ransoms in peace my soul. He has bought you back from the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell. He has paid the price so that you might have peace. Somebody help me in this house. Thank you, Lord. He ransoms in peace my soul. God comes through. I mean, could you testify? If this was a charismatic church and we had ministry time, we got to come up on stage and grab the microphone and testify about the goodness of God. Would you have a story? I'm not going to do it tonight, but if you have a story, could you wave at me? Could you build my faith by letting me see that you have a story of having, wave it at me like you're charismatic, right? You've experienced the goodness of God in the land of the living. All right, put it down. God comes through. Celebrate. God comes through. He has not left you alone. He will not leave you alone. So, point number nine, cast your burdens on him. As we close, look at verse 22. Cast your burdens on the Lord, and he will sustain you. Do you know what it means to cast your burdens on the Lord? 
It means to chuck them. You're welcome. Why was he wearing a backpack the whole sermon? So he could cast his burden on the Lord. If it wasn't the pandemic, if it was normal times, I would have had sheets of paper on your seat. I would have had pens. And in this moment, I would have asked you to write your burden down on that sheet of paper. I would have asked you to crumple it up. I would have asked you to cast it to where I just cast my burden. So this week, the first time you find yourself feeling burdened, grab a piece of paper, write the burden down, crumple the piece of paper up, and then cast it away. Amen? Cast your burdens on the Lord. Band, you can join me because I'm done. Cast them on him. Why? Because, point number 10, he is the God who sets wrong things right. Verse 23, part A. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. This is my favorite point in the sermon. I usually don't leave my favorite point to the last, but it just happened that way. Did you hear that? Let me repeat it for you just in case you missed it. Verse 23, part A. But you, O God, will cast them down. Who are we talking about here? His enemies. You will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. Here's the point. It's worth the drive to Acton, just this point right here. Um, You cast your burdens on the Lord. He cast down your enemies. I could drink that one in until the cows come home. Just me and my holy moment here with the, with the Lord. And you at home as well. And you here in this room also. Cast your burdens on the Lord. He will cast down your enemies. So, final point, number 11. So trust Him. If as you cast your burdens on the Lord, He casts down your enemies, seems to make sense to me that you should trust Him. Um, because He's a sure thing. <laughs> 